You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, welcome Thank to the Surveyor's Hour at America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. Um, you can learn more about me if you uh, visit my website at www.lucasandcompany.com. Find out more about me. Um, all right, this is our our fourth show. I promise I won't count them down uh, from here, but I just uh, I know there's probably uh, maybe new listeners out here who haven't heard uh, previous editions of the show. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, as always, uh, I invite your questions uh, and comments. Uh, if you send your questions and comments to to me, Jeff at americaswebradio.com. Uh, I'd love to hear what your comments are. Uh, I'd love to attempt to answer your questions uh, online. Uh, I'm here to talk about what you want to talk about. And in order for me to uh, know what you want to talk about, um, I need to hear from you. So uh, so write us. Uh, write me and uh, send some questions, and, and we'll delve into it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, what we've been doing here on the program is uh, is I've just been going over some um, some general stuff about surveying and the law. Uh, I have I've pulled up a program uh, that I uh, that I use uh, a seminar program that I use called uh, How to Make a Boundary Determination That Will Win in Court. And so we're just kind of um, I'm kind of going through this um, uh, slowly and. Um, and going over some uh, some basic issues about um, about surveying, about the law, the the law as it uh, as it affects the practice of surveying, uh, and ultimately um, what would happen if we if the surveyor or, or parties end up in court and 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 with a focus on on how to win that court case, how to win that court case. I am. Uh, uh, that's not what we're going to do entirely on this show uh, moving forward. The show in the past uh, had guests on it, I think, every week. Uh, I'm not sure I know 52 people to get in here uh, to be a guest every week. So, um, but I do. I have made some phone calls um, uh, in the, over the last uh, week or so, and I have lined up uh, some people who are going to come on to the show, and we'll talk about uh, what's interesting to them and. Uh, that my very first guest, um, who will be here next next Monday, is a good friend of mine, Milton Milton Denny. Uh, Milton is a surveyor. He's a uh, seminar presenter, speaker, lecturer, and author. Uh, and he's always got something interesting that he's doing. Uh, now that he's sort of semi-retired, I guess he can uh, he can take on projects that uh, he really wants to work on. And uh, so we'll have him in here next week. Um, for, with an interesting discussion, I'm sure uh, Milton and I can uh, talk on the phone for uh, for two hours uh, about surveying. So hopefully uh, that will be a good show, and we uh, I invite uh, all of you to tune in for that show. Okay, um, so far uh, as far as the program goes, uh, I've uh, I've introduced myself. Um, if you want to, if you didn't hear any of that introduction, that's fine. Again, you can find me on my website at www.lucasandcompany.com. Find out information about me, who I am, um, my qualifications. Uh, 
then we uh, next we sort of dove into the law, talking about the law in general, uh, talking about the laws that affects the practice of surveying, and uh, ultimately affects uh, private property rights uh, when we're talking about surveying land, and, and that is primarily uh, the focus of this program. Uh, unless we have guests, um, will be. Uh, the law and the the law as it relates to the to the survey of uh, surveying property, and the reason for that would be because um, uh, land surveyors come into when they are surveying people's property, they come into direct contact with with people, with landowners, and with landowners' property rights. And I am assuming we have landowners out there who uh, who are interested in what surveyors do. Uh, why they do it, uh, or maybe have been uh, negatively impacted by a survey or positively impacted by a survey. So certainly if you're a landowner out there and you, you've had experience or encounters with surveyors, I'd love to hear about it. That doesn't mean that we won't talk about equipment if uh, surveyors have equipment issues. I'm not uh, a big equipment guy, but I do know a lot of people who are uh, very qualified uh, equipment people. So uh, we can get some guests in here to talk about equipment. Uh, that's um, so, um, a, a few of the people I called last week uh, to come on the uh, to come on the show. We're going to come on to talk about equipment, uh, hydrographic surveying, and GPS surveying, uh, uh, lidar. These these types of things. So we will discuss those issues. And if, certainly, if you have questions about equipment. Um, that uh, I probably won't be able to answer very well for you. I'll, I'll get a guest to come on and, and we'll talk about equipment. But um, the primary focus of this uh, program, at least as far as I'm concerned, are the legal aspects uh, affecting surveying. And um, unlike unlike civil engineers, um, architects, and some other professionals, um, they, they don't uh, they don't end up in court are involved in court cases quite as often as surveyors. And the reason for that is, as I mentioned, uh, surveyors come into, when they're surveying property, they come into contact with, with people, with um, with landowners, with um, uh, the property rights that attach to the property lines. And when there's a, when there's a problem, um, oftentimes, uh, or a dispute, uh, starts over the location of property lines on the ground, then, uh, all of the parties end up in court, uh, because, um, because the, the principles, uh, the principles, the property rights principles run very, very high, um, when, when it comes to private property rights. Uh, oftentimes though, the, the finances aren't there, the war chest isn't there. Uh, to uh, necessarily lit- litigate these um, um, a-, a resolution, but uh, surveyors will find themselves in court or involved in court cases uh, more often uh, than uh, than architect uh, than more often than civil engineers or architects or other similar professionals uh, because of the uh, of-, of the principles that are involved. So. Um, We've uh, we've discussed the law, uh, generally speaking, and as it applies to surveying. Um, then we uh, last week we uh, delved into um, we delved into evidence a little bit, and that's where we're going to pick back up. 
uh, on evidence because certainly if you're going to if <clears throat> if the your if you're a surveyor and your survey is the catalyst for the lawsuit perhaps or maybe you've got a competing survey to the survey that was the catalyst for the lawsuit um, then uh, evidence is going to be uh, a real big issue. Evidence is going to be a real big issue. Uh, surveying is um, surveying is is a very measure centric profession and has and has been for a long, long time. And, and one of the reasons for that is because surveyors can check uh, their measurements. Uh, they can check their closure. They can uh, the surveyor can prove that he or she uh, has done a uh, precise survey because the measurements can be checked, the calculations can be checked. There is no calculation, though, uh, for good judgment. And uh, ultimately, uh, a boundary determination is is an opinion. It's a, it's a judgment call. Um, there, is, there is a litmus test to find out if your judgment is uh, to help you to determine if your judgment is a correct judgment. There's no math formula. Uh, the math and the uh, the measurements that surveyors make that's just that's just part of the evidence. Um, and, and generally speaking, not the best available evidence either. Um, but there is a litmus test, and it starts with the the standard of care, and the standard of care for uh, all. Uh, professional practitioners in the United States. This is pretty much a, a universal standard of care. The, the standard of care is what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do under like or similar circumstances. So, um, with that standard in place, um, um, the next uh, issue relative to boundary determinations for the surveyor is the uh, the evidence criterion, and that is best available evidence. So you put these two things together, um, gathering and evaluating the best available evidence that the reasonably prudent practitioner would gather in like or similar circumstances, and then um, weighing that evidence and rendering a well-reasoned opinion on the only question the surveyor has, and that's the location question, um, if you've done that as a surveyor and then can uh, put on your map of survey uh, the uh, boundary establishment doctrine or, or, or as the 2016 ALTA NSPS um, uh, standards say, you can articulate the appropriate boundary law principle that is in play, then more than likely um, you have got um, – you have got a well-reasoned opinion on the correct location of the property on the ground. So there is a litmus test. There's not a formula. Um, uh, the, the, the measurements and the math, so to speak, the geometry from the deed, the deed is simply is simply evidence. So um, we need we need to look at evidence, and we looked at it a little bit um, last week. But just to recap, if um, if you could imagine a scale uh, from zero up to 100%. We'll just call that our evidence scale. And almost no evidence at the bottom of the scale 
almost no evidence is what's referred to as a scintilla of evidence. Then uh, the next um, landmark would be uh, halfway up this scale to the 50% mark. And anything above that or just above that, the greater weight of the evidence is what is referred to as a preponderance of the evidence. Uh, 51% or more would be a preponderance of the evidence. And then somewhere between, going back down the scale, between the greater weight of the evidence and a scintilla, almost nothing, uh, in between those two uh, landmarks is what's uh, referred to as substantial evidence. Substantial evidence, okay? A preponderance of the evidence, more than, uh, more than 50%, 51% of the evidence, uh, or the greater weight, is the civil standard. Uh, if you're in civil court, that is the standard of evidence that we're going to need uh, that leads to the proof of the matter in order to win the case. And uh, it looks like we're getting ready to come up on a break, so um, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to this evidence scale um, uh, shortly. Quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a March implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening Welcome back, folks. All right, we uh, let's finish up with this evidence scale uh, quickly because I want to move on. Uh, a scintilla of evidence, almost no evidence, substantial evidence, somewhere between a preponderance, the greater weight of the evidence, and uh, and a scintilla. And then uh, next up the scale before we get to 100% is clear and convincing, 
clear and convincing is the uh, standard for generally the standard for such things as fraud and uh, adverse possession cases, and then almost uh, beyond all reasonable doubt or almost 100%, that is our criminal standard. So the standard, the general standard for civil court is going to be a preponderance of the evidence that leads to the, uh, to the uh, resolution of the matter. So it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, um, um, it, it's, it's not, it's not all that much, actually. Um, just the greater weight, uh, of the evidence, uh, will, uh, will be the, um, the, the winning, uh, the, the, the winning side of the case. And generally, if you're in court, there's going to be two, two competing surveys. Uh, so this tells us that one of the surveys will be correct. It'll be the correct survey. It'll be, uh, the one ruled on by the court. And the other one will be incorrect. So as a surveyor, you certainly want to be on the correct side of the ledger because um, uh, your liability is um, is just lessened by, uh, by being correct. So one surveyor is going to be correct. One surveyor is going to be wrong. That's just the way it's going to be uh, if uh, we have a, a trial with uh, two competing surveys. So uh, we, we talked about the federal rules of evidence last week, um, which are important because uh, the federal rules uh, now um, um, now carry the uh, uh, now carry the greater weight of, of the rules in the United States of America. Prior to the federal rules uh, being uh, enacted in mid 1975, um, the the states, the various states across the country, had uh, various and sundry rules for evidence and rules for civil procedure. Well, the, the federal rules sort of uh, took the field in the 1970s, and since then, uh, 40, this is an unofficial count, this is just Jeff doing some research, 42% of uh, 42 out of our 50 uh, states have enacted the federal rules of evidence and the federal rules of civil procedure, either in whole or in part or with some modifications but uh, one of the one of the biggest changes that took place, at least from the uh, from the standpoint of going to court and being an expert witness in court, is uh, what's considered to be the ultimate issue rule, Rule 704, um, uh, opinion on the ultimate issue. And that has just become a sea change for all professional practitioners who end up in court uh, giving expert witness testimony. And, and the reason for that is prior to the adoption of the rules, the majority rule in the United States of America, that means, I don't, I don't know how many states that, will, that was, but it was it, it more than 25. The majority rule in the United States of America, was, it, it was that an expert coming into court could not give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. Every, in every case, there's an ultimate issue. In the boundary dispute case, the ultimate issue will be where is the property line between the plaintiff and the defendant. Um, that's the ultimate issue. And uh, prior to the, cha- to the adoption of the federal rules, um, the majority opinion was an, an expert coming into court could not give an opinion uh, on that question. So why even have an opinion on that question? Uh, the logical question would be for the expert, why even give an opinion on that question if, um, uh, if, if you, you can't give the opinion anyway? I mean, um, so 
the idea was out there that surveyors shouldn't give an opinion on where the property line is located between the plaintiff and the defendant. Just, just basically go uh, stake out the geometry from the client's deed and don't take a stand. Don't take a stand on the issue, on the ultimate issue in the case. Well, that's that's changed now. Um, and now, as we discussed last week, uh, the ultimate issue can be used. The ultimate issue rule can be used to um, to either bolster the uh, the opinion of the expert who has given a who, who is making an opinion on the ultimate issue, or to possibly eliminate the testimony of, of one of the experts who hasn't. Um, rendered a well-reasoned opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. So it's 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 absolutely crucial now for the land surveyor expert or surveyors surveying property in general to formulate an opinion on where the property line is located on the ground. And this this was just uh, this was just taboo um, for the last fifty sixty years. So, since uh, when, when Brown, uh, Curtis Brown, uh, came out with his book, uh, Boundary Control and Legal Principles, uh, in the late 1950s, early 1960s, he basically advised surveyors to not give an opinion on where the property line is located um, in, in any given survey, to just simply hide behind the client's deed um, and not give an opinion because you can't give an opinion anyway. Uh, even if you wanted to, at least in the majority of the states, that wasn't that wasn't a hundred percent back then. Some states did allow uh, experts to come in and uh, and give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. But the ult- the ultimate issue in the case that the rule prohibiting the rules in the various states where it was prohibited for the expert to come in and give an opinion uh, on the ultimate issue was. Um, was when they got around to writing the federal rules, they just they realized how ridiculous it was because we we all know uh, the the fear was that if an expert came into court and gave an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, that um, the expert would taint the jury. The expert would, um, as they say, would would be invading the province of the jury. Would they would the expert's opinion would taint the jury. It would sway the jury too much. But um, that just doesn't pass the common sense test because uh, every, everyone knows if one expert comes in and says black, the other expert expert is going to come in and say white. The experts will be their opinions will be competing. That doesn't mean one of them is lying. That doesn't mean uh, somebody is um, is. Uh, is being untruthful, um, is perjuring themselves on the stand. It's just that they have they're going to have different opinions. If the experts agree, if the experts agree, then more than likely you don't have a court case. If both surveyors are agreeing, you, you have two competing surveys. Well, if they're not competing, if both surveyors are agreeing as to the location of the property line on the ground, then you're probably not in court. So generally speaking, when you have a trial and um, you have you have two surveys are going to be competing, one surveyor is going to uh, be identifying one line, and the other survey is going to be identifying another line, and then it will be uh, then the trial will be over which line are we going to take, which line are we going to take. Generally speaking, um, the court can't 
uh, split the baby. The, the court can't say, well, we got these two competing surveys here. Uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to uh, split the baby. We're just going to draw a line right down the middle, and that's where we're going to put the property line. We'll split the difference. Well, that can't, as a general proposition, that can't happen. doesn't mean it hasn't hasn't happened or there haven't been attempts to do that but uh, the rule would the rule is if a ju- if the judge determines that um, we're just going to split the baby then the judge is ruling on evidence that wasn't presented at trial and that's generally a no-no the judge can't do the Solomon Act and just say we'll split the baby uh, the judge is going to have to the judge and the, and the jury if we have a jury and in and, and these boundary dispute cases, we don't always have juries because of the uh, esoteric nature of surveying and the uh, the long winding road getting to um, to uh, some of the issues. Um, a lot of times, the attorneys feel like they'll lose a jury, uh, or the jury won't be able to um, you know won't be able to follow along. So many many times. Uh, these boundary dispute cases are done without a jury, so it's just the judge uh, who is uh, in the who is sitting in the role of fact finder and uh, the court uh, determining what the law is. Now, the parties themselves, the parties themselves, they they can agree to um, um, to some sort of um, other line. Uh, if they want to, uh, the parties can do that, or they could. Uh, the judge could um, uh, just mediate, um, and I've seen this happen. The judge just goes into mediation mode and just starts talking to the parties about, you know, what they want to do. Because, uh, as I mentioned, I may have mentioned this last week. I don't remember, but uh, boundary dispute cases aren't. Uh, it's been my experience that uh, judges don't necessarily like boundary dispute cases. Um, because of the esoteric nature of, of surveying and some of these issues, just the just the single issue of the difference between title to property and where it's located on the ground is very difficult for one to wrap their brain around unless they're uh, unless they're uh, um, have have looked at this issue for for a long long time and and actually understand that there is a difference between what the title documents say and where the property is actually located on the ground. So, uh, and that's just one. That's just one quick example. So, um, so the ultimate issue rule here is is very important. It's gone pretty much unnoticed uh, in the land in the land surveying profession since the rule came about in the ni- in the mid 1970s. It's just it's just a sea change. And the and the experts' responsibilities coming into court, and you'll, you'll even find that um, some attorneys uh, don't realize that the ultimate issue rule allows for expert witness testimony on the ultimate issue. So, um, what I wanted to do next, and maybe we got into this last week, I, I really don't remember. Uh, I wanted to step back. Uh, into the 600 rules uh, real quickly. Um, the, the 700 rules, 701 through 706, are the expert witness um, rules, uh, rules of evidence. The 600 rules, 601 through 615, have to do with um, um, 
uh, with lay witnesses, with with fact witnesses, and witnesses in general. And uh, one of the very important rule there uh, is Rule 615, the very last rule excluding witnesses. Um, this rule, well, well first, um, the the um, logical inference to draw from it being Rule 615 is that it applies to fact witnesses. That that's not always going to be the case, and that's not always going to be the argument. But for the uh, expert witness um, or surveyor coming in to defend his or her survey uh, or explain his or her survey, it's important to understand uh, Rule 615, uh, the exclusion of witnesses, um, and that it applies to, um, to lay witnesses and not to expert witnesses because uh, w- what they'll do is they will, um, they will invoke the rule and the rule says that uh, all the witnesses uh, have to leave the courtroom so that they don't hear the testimony of the other witnesses. And um, I'll, I'll read the rule here uh, when we come back uh, from the break. It looks like we're coming up on a break now. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back-friendly stake. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. And want to remind everybody that we've got a great new show going on, and it is called Agent in Charge. And this is... Um, Sandy Bostic, he is a, he was a homeland security agent for many years. His last assignment was the, uh, agent in charge of the El Paso Homeland Security Office. And, um, I think you'll find it very interesting. And this is, uh, every Thursday at, um, I believe it's 11 o'clock, uh, 12 o'clock. Anyway, uh, Check it out on America's Web Radio and uh, tune in to Agent in Charge. And we'll be back with Jeff Lucas right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. Uh, We were discussing Rule 615, excluding witnesses. And uh, here's what, how the rule reads. At a party's request, the court must order witnesses excluded so that they cannot hear other witnesses' testimony, or the court may do so on its own, but this rule does not authorize excluding A, a party who is a natural person, B, an officer or employee of a party that is not a natural person after being designated as the party's representative by its attorney, C, a person whose presence a party shows to be essential to uh, presenting the party's claim or defense, or D, a person authorized by statute to be present. So we do want to exclude witnesses um, from 
uh, especially fact witnesses, from sitting in the courtroom and listening to what the other fact witnesses say, because fact witnesses can be uh, uh, can be uh, uh, easily influenced by what they uh, hear other witnesses say. I'm, you know, um, they they saw something or they. Um, they, they thought that the, the guy was wearing a red jacket, uh, and somebody got, gets up and says, "Well, the, you know, the criminal, the the uh, the, um, um, uh, the robber was wearing a green jacket." And so then they start uh, the witnesses start uh, questioning their uh, what they saw, what their maybe an eyewitness uh, situation. They start questioning what they what they saw, and maybe even it changes it changes their testimony. So we don't want fact witnesses sitting in court listening to other fact witnesses being examined on the stand and hearing what they have to say um, but um, and that's because that's because fact witnesses they uh, they have to um, they have to have knowledge of a situation either they saw something or they heard something or they were involved in some way um, uh, but they they do not necessarily there there's an exception but generally speaking they do not give opinions uh on the case and and so that's the difference between what we refer to as fact witnesses or lay witnesses and and the expert witness the expert witness by and large um the expert witness's testimony is expert opinion expert opinion on on the situation uh, and what we're talking about are boundary disputes. Where is the property located on the ground? Expert opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. Now, um, this, if you're, if you do expert witness work, this is some, um, rule 615 is something you want to make sure that you discuss, uh, with the attorney on your side because you will want to be, uh, in the courtroom while the trial is taking place so that you can hear you can hear what all of the uh, all of the lay witnesses are coming in to say. The fact witnesses are coming in to say. You want to hear what the parties themselves have to say, but you also want to hear what uh, other experts are saying uh, about the ultimate issue, about where the property line is located on the ground. You want to be able to hear this. Uh, ostensibly, uh, there are no more uh, Perry Mason uh, moments, uh, you know, the, the gotcha moments. If you watch Perry Mason, Mason much, and I, I didn't really as a kid, but there was always uh, there was always some gotcha moment where Perry Mason comes in and just slams the other side and wins the case um, because he he knows something that uh, they didn't know, or um, he knows something that they know that they didn't know he knows. So, you know, a gotcha situation. Well, ostensibly there are no more gotcha uh, uh, situations in civil court uh, because of discovery. Um, both sides are supposed to turn over um, um, documentation that they have about the case uh, to each other. So, ostensibly... Uh, the plaintiff is going to know all about the defendant's case, and the defendant's case, uh, the defendant is going to know all about the plaintiff's case. So there will be no surprises when we go when we go to trial. But that's that's not actually uh, necessarily the case because uh, part of discovery can be uh, depositions, and depositions are expensive. And this is one of the things that is problematic for the uh, for the boundary dispute case is if we can't 
if uh, parties can't afford to do depositions, then there's a good chance there will be some gotcha situations uh, at, at trial. If we can't depose, if we don't have enough money to depose uh, the other side's expert, we're not going to know what that expert is going to say on the stand until he's on the stand. Now, there are uh, expert reports that need to be done and can be asked for uh, where we think we might know without depositions we think we might know uh, what that uh, uh, what that expert is going to say when the expert gets on this gets on the stand because we have we have his or her report we can read the report and get an idea of what they're going to say but that's that's different than um, and not as thorough as uh, doing depositions where we get to um, uh, we get to ask uh, all the questions we want to ask of that expert and really get down to uh, down to the brass tacks on what that expert's going to say in court. So um, you're going you're going to want to be in court. you're going to want to be uh, not excluded. You're going to want to talk to your attorney uh, about that to make sure that uh, you won't you won't be excluded. And of course their expert won't be excluded either. Uh, but it will happen. Uh, it will happen. Uh, sometimes the attorneys don't want to fight the fight because the uh, the attorneys on the other side think rule think that Rule 615 excludes all witnesses. But um, subparagraph C um, makes it pretty clear that um, a person whose presence a party shows to be essential to presenting the uh, party's claim or defense that. That's the expert witness. It doesn't say expert witness there. Uh, some commentary to the rules, and, and the, the rules I downloaded here didn't have commentary, but some commentary to the rules uh, and Rule 615 um, comes right out and says that. Um, subparagraph C isn't meant to exclude uh, expert witnesses uh, because uh, those, those persons are deemed essential to presenting the uh, the party's claim or, and, uh, or defense. So you want to have a conversation ahead of time with your attorney, and then the attorney needs to have a conversation with uh, the uh, opposing uh, attorney, and, um, and and get and both of them should come to agreement that we're just we're going to let our experts sit in the trial so that they can hear all the testimony because their um, their testimony is going to be opinion based anyway. So. Uh, they might hear something that could change their opinion or uh, alter the, the way they were thinking about uh, their opinion. And so, for the expert, it's 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 pretty much essential that you that you that you sit in the trial and uh, and listen to uh, all of the testimony that that, that goes down. Uh, also, uh, the expert, if there are going to be if there will be depositions, um, um, I think it's it's. Essential. Uh, a lot of attorneys don't, but I think it's essential that the uh, the expert comes in and uh, and sits uh, sits during uh, the deposition of especially the other experts, not necessarily the parties, but uh, certainly the other experts. Um, and um, you can be um, actually of some of some good or help uh, to the attorneys on your side with. Uh, Follow-up questions uh, with uh, the, the questions that get asked to the uh, um, opposing side's experts. So that too. But um, again, uh, depositions can be expensive. 
uh, and sometimes uh, they're not going to, even if they have depositions, they don't want to pay for you to be there to uh, be involved in the depositions because money's limited. Um, they might not even do depositions, and then uh, and then you could end up with some gotcha moments uh, in court because you just couldn't afford to do depositions. I mean, if you if you have an attorney, two attorneys, a minimum, two attorneys, uh, both of them uh, charging a couple of hundred dollars an hour, maybe, maybe more, you know, maybe five hundred dollars an hour, and then you have uh, uh, two experts at the deposition. You got a court reporter. You know, you could be clicking along at a thousand, two thousand dollars an hour. Um, you know, in just a, a, a run-of-the-mill boundary dispute case. And uh, that gets expensive, so uh, that won't happen all the time. Uh, but excluding witnesses, you don't want to be excluded. You want to be in there. You don't want to get you don't want to get caught flat-footed on the stand um, uh, with a, with a question that you you haven't uh, contemplated, or within a uh, get surprised with an opinion from the opposing side that uh, you haven't you had not thought about yet. So. Um, it's kind of essential, um, and but you need to at least know whether you're going to be able to sit in the, in the uh, and listen to the testimony or not. That that's a discussion at minimum you got to have with the attorney you're working with. All right, uh, we're going to move on to the 800 rules, and uh, the 800 rules are referred to as the the hearsay rules, and uh, there are it's 801. Through, through 803. So there's only three rules. Um, 803 has a lot of exceptions. So um, 80, rule 801, the following definitions apply uh, under this article. Subparagraph A, statement. A statement is, one, an oral or written assertion, or two, nonverbal conduct of a person if it is intended by the person as an assertion. B, declarant. A declarant is a person who makes a statement. C, hearsay. Hearsay is a statement other than one made by the declarant while testifying at trial or hearing, offered in evidence evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted. 802, hearsay is not admissible except as provided by these rules or by other rules prescribed by the Supreme Court pursuant to statutory authority or by acts of Congress. All right, so hearsay generally is not admitted, but there's a very important exception uh, to the hearsay rule, and that's under for surveyors and for surveying activity. And that is uh, under Rule 803. Rule 803 uh, hearsay exceptions, availability of declarant immaterial. The following are not excluded by the hearsay rule, even though the declarant is available as a witness. And there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, ones here. There are, there are, let me see, four, five, uh, tw- uh, twenty. There are twenty-four exceptions uh, to the hearsay rules. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Hearsay rules go through uh, Rule 807. Jeff, we're going to have to take a break uh, on that, and we'll be back with Jeff Lucas and more of the Land Surveying Hour right after this. 
morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org quick stakes is your answer to staking lightweight easy to ride on easy to use easy to find and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes have you tried a sample If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I am the Alabama Division Manager for ESP uh, Associates uh, out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We, um, we have uh, a footprint in 37 states. We have uh, what I like to consider to be uh, all, of the, uh, all of the survey toys. We have hydrographic surveying, GPS, drones, uh, and um, the ESP. Uh, we like to say we just know. So uh, give us a call. Uh, if you need uh, engineering, surveying, or planning services. All right, um, and you can you can find a link to um, to ESP and Associates on, on my website www.lucasandcompany.com. Okay, we were talking about uh, hearsay exceptions. Uh, there's one very important exception, uh, and that is uh, there, there's a lot of interesting ones there. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these rules up on my website under uh, the, the resources tab so anybody who wants to take a look at them can. But um, there, there are a lot of good exceptions, interesting exceptions to the, uh, to the hearsay rule. But the one we're going to focus in on is uh, exception number 20, and that is reputation concerning boundaries or general history. A reputation uh, in a community arising before the controversy concerning boundaries of land in the community or customs that affect the land or concerning general historical events important to that community, state, or nation. Now, why is this so important? Well, in all of my years of land surveying, there has been, uh, there's, there's been this guy, uh, who some, sometimes is, uh, very helpful in determining where property boundaries are located on the ground and what we call him old timer. In Florida, when I was, uh, out in the field uh, as, a, as a surveyor, party chief, field surveyor, uh, we we used to um, we used to try to avoid this guy like the plague, okay? Because um, we just didn't want to listen to this old guy come out there and, and talk to us all day long. 
or follow around, uh, follow us around and uh, talk to us about uh, the boundaries or or general history in the community. It just just didn't want to hear it. Uh, but uh, as I became um, more, um, um, let's just say, a better surveyor, I, I learned that uh, in order to be a really good surveyor, really good property boundary surveyor, you got to be something of a people person. Um, you, you need to you need to search out, especially if you're in the field. Uh, you need to um, uh, look for every opportunity that you can uh, to find old timer to talk to people in the community about a reputation concerning boundaries, because this can ultimately, <clears throat> in many cases, in many cases that I go over in my presentations, in, in many cases that I've written about, in many cases that I have in my books. Uh, old timer is a guy who actually ends up um, um, ends up with an opinion that ultimately determines the location of the property boundary on the ground. Uh, as I, as I said in, in one of the shows previous, the the, the judge only needs the, a, a judge in a boundary dispute case only needs uh, a couple of things. First, the judge needs a subject matter jurisdiction. Then the judge uh, has over boundaries, and then the judge has to get what's called in personam jurisdiction, personal jurisdiction over the plaintiff and the defendant, over the landowners. And essentially, that is all the judge needs. The survey, surveys are not needed. Surveying is not needed. Um, it's surveys and surveyors are often often deemed helpful in a boundary dispute case, especially if the surveyors uh, have uh, an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case and not just uh, a map of surveying showing where uh, you know, certain geometry is located on the ground. They are deemed helpful, and, and many attorneys feel that surveyors are necessary or helpful. But in the bottom, the bottom line, in the final analysis, the only thing that the judge needs in order to make a boundary determination, any any jurisdiction, any state, across the country, subject matter jurisdiction, and jurisdiction over the two landowners, if it's two landowners involved. That's all the judge needs to make a boundary determination. So that tells us that the testimony of these people, the landowners, uh, can, can completely decide um, the, the boundary determination that the court is going to make can completely decide. Therefore, and that's what would we refer to as oral evidence or parole evidence. Okay, what people have to say uh, about um, uh, about the reputation concerning boundaries or general history. That's what people. Um, um, that's that's what's. Uh, Oral evidence or parole evidence, that's what the people have to say about it. Well, there's this other, there's this other gentleman or sometimes lady, um, who might also be very important to the outcome of the case, and that's, that's what I refer to as old timer. Um, now, if we will hear, when we're in court, we will hear the testimony of the plaintiff and the defendant. They will be in court. But what about old timer? Or are we going to are we going to bring old timer into court? Are we going to go to that trouble of bringing old timer into court? Well, the rule here basically says there's no need to, to actually do that because the surveyor can go interview under the hearsay rule and the, the ex, 
exception to the hearsay rule, Rule 803, subparagraph 20, the surveyor will be able to go to the field, and while the surveyor is doing field work, um, runs into old-timer and then has a discussion with old-timer about the reputation of, of the boundaries in the community and what he or she knows about those boundaries, and then the surveyor can take notes and write it down in, uh, in his field book or her field book, can put a note on the subsequent uh, map of survey that the surveyor is going to issue about what old-timer told the surveyor about the property lines in question. And that will not be hearsay. That's as good as that's as good as taking a sworn statement. If I if I'm able to go talk to um, go talk to old timer in the field, and then I, I make notes about what old timer told me, and then uh, that works into the ultimate decision I make about the boundaries, and I put notes on my survey. If that's just as good as have an old timer come into court and testify, and you're probably going to get if you're on the stand. This has happened to me. I start talking about old timer and what old timer told me about the boundary lines out there in the subdivision, and the other side gets up and objects uh, because it sounds like hearsay. If uh, we're, hearsay would be um, would be me coming into court telling the court what some old guy out in the field told you me got, about the boundaries. About that is hour. hearsay. My uh, David. Super. How's Athens? I'm sorry. So, so uh, that that's technically that's technically hearsay, um, but because of the uh, exception to the rule, um, it's not hearsay. Uh, some states, um, I know Idaho, well, for just instance. The, the importance of remembering the veterans and the, the Hall of Fame, the JC, and your book, uh, time to talk, and all that, or. Uh, Okay, uh, anyway, um, um, reputation concerning boundaries or general history. Thank you. Um, so, lost, uh, I thought I heard something. Uh, I lost my uh, train of thought. All right, so, um, anyway, um, so hearsay is, is, uh, and the hearsay exception uh, concerning boundaries in the community um, is an important issue to know. Oh, in, in Idaho, uh, surveyors are allowed to take sworn statements from people in the field, um, and, and that's good. And, and I, I always thought that was, you know, that's good that surveyors could take sworn sworn statement from people because of people, uh, uh, oral evidence and parole evidence is. Um, is uh, is very important to the outcome of a boundary dispute, uh, but that's 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 fine that they can do that, but it's not necessary because of the the hearsay exception. Um, I've often told people in the past, I've told surveyors in the past, there's nothing preventing you from becoming a notary public and uh, taking statements in the field and uh, and uh, notarizing those statements. That that's that's good. Uh, but uh, it's not necessary because of the uh, exception to the hearsay rules. Um, testimony in the um, um, reputation in the community uh, as to boundaries, um, as to general history of boundaries. Um, I think what we're going to do here is we only have a couple of minutes left here. Um, 
there was a case uh, on uh, um, oral testimony that I was going to get into, U.S. versus Sitco. We'll probably have to save that till uh, next time around. Um, let's see, standard of care. Okay, we've talked about the standard of care uh, to a certain extent. We'll, we'll just discuss it a little bit more here with the time we have remaining. The standard of care for uh, all uh, professional service providers is the same. It's, it's universal. It's what the um, it's what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do. Uh, under like or similar circumstances. And um, this is part of uh, uh, part of the equation for negligence. Uh, negligence, like um, uh, like most torts, has uh, essentially four elements to it. Um, most torts have about four or five elements to to them. Now a tort is uh, is a civil wrong. It, it's kind of like a crime. But it, there's no, there's no, uh, the, the the law in general provides a remedy for a tort, but there's a there's a criminal code uh, that um, provides a remedy for for a crime. But uh, so negligence, um, professional negligence, consists of four elements. The first element is there there is a duty. Uh, the plaintiff is able to prove that the defendant, the tort feeser. Uh, the defendant surveyor in this case uh, owed owed the plaintiff a duty, so there has to be a duty owing. Then, the that the professional service provider, the surveyor in this case, fell below the duty. Well, what is the duty? The duty is the standard of care. What other reasonably prudent practitioners would do in like or similar circumstances? Then, uh, the third element is causation, because uh, of the. Um, because the surveyor fell below the duty of care, causation, um, and then damages. So those are the four elements. A duty owed, uh, the standard of care, because of the falling below the standard of care, causation, the plaintiff is damaged. they got to prove, they're going to have to prove all four, not one, not two, not three, all four. So the standard of care is um, is very important for the uh, professional service provider to, to understand uh, because of this simple fact. If the surveyor or whatever other professional we're talking about uh, never falls below the standard of care, then the professional cannot be held negligent. And so as long as um, you're always operating above the standard of care, um, they will never, uh, the plaintiff will never be able to prove, prove negligence and therefore there will be, there will be no damages. Even, even if the professional makes a mistake. Sometimes a mistake is just a mistake. But as long as the professional did not fall below the standard of care, then there's no negligence. Okay, Jeff, we're going to have to uh, be putting the plug in the jug, I'm afraid. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.